Our first uh, scripture reading is uh, just one verse, so um, I can read it faster than you can look it up because you're Presbyterians and not Baptists. So uh, it is from uh, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 1, and it's sort of the theme of our uh, subject matter today. And um, I was reminded yesterday we had a wonderful event as across the street, a woman by the name of uh, Eleanor Isaacson came. She lives in... uh, Willow Valley, and she was a young girl uh, living in Germany during World War II in Nazi Germany, and she chronicled her experiences and then came to this country. But uh, she's written a couple of books. One of her uh, latest books talks about an experience that she had in uh, trying to encounter, experience, and meet uh, God and not knowing who God is and how God had, was sort of protecting her along the uh, the horrors of, uh, of the Third Reich. And uh, she talks about going into a church and walking to the front and, in her mind, sitting on her father's lap, her God the Father's lap, uh, who she couldn't see, uh, visibly or physically, but believed was there. And that was the beginning of her coming to faith and becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. She had a wonderful testimony. And it speaks very well to our scripture today. Again, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, which says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A man by the name of Charles Blondine had a dream. His dream was to cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And sure enough, on June 30th, 1859, a huge crowd gathered and watched as Charles Blondine successfully walked across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. When he finished, he asked the cheering crowd, how many of you believe that I could do that again? And they all raised their hands. And they said, well, how many of you think I could do it again with a person on my shoulders? And the people all shouted, yes. Well, you know what came next. Which one of you will become the first to get on my shoulders and cross Niagara Falls with me? There was not a Presbyterian to be found. (laughs) All those people were full of faith until it actually involved them. We are continuing my sermon series this morning that I've titled The Five Solas of the Reformation. We are looking at five critical truths that were recaptured during the 16th century. These five central doctrines helped renew Christianity 500 years ago, and they continue to be both relevant and critical in the 21st century. And these truths have been passed down to us as Christians using five Latin phrases. Last week, we focused on sola scriptura, scripture alone, noting the primary place that the word of God plays in matters of faith and practice. This morning, we're turning our attention to the second sola, sola fide, faith alone. And our story is from Daniel chapter three. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three guys who powerfully demonstrated their faith by refusing to bow down to a pagan idol. And so I invite you to join me as we look at one of the great faith stories of the Bible. It's rather long, but I'm going to read the whole thing because there just was no great place to cut it. But it's from Daniel chapter 3, 
verses 13 through 27. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought those men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, an entire musical ensemble to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with rage against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face was distorted. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than was customary and ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So the men were bound, still wearing their tunics, their trousers, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was so overheated, the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound, into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up quickly. He said to his counselors, was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? They answered the king, true, O king. He replied, but I see four men unbound walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the fourth has the appearance of a god. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their tunics were not harmed, and not even the smell of fire came from them. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. God, as we open your word, we pray that you would reveal it to us with new truths and new ways of giving thanks to who you are and what you have done for us and what you continue to do for us in these days in which we live to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, before we get into things too deeply, it seems important for us to take a moment to think about faith. I think we probably can agree that faith is rather hard to define. It can be murky and rather fluid. When we talk about faith, it's usually interwoven with works. In fact, the book of James says faith without works is dead. And so while in many ways they go hand in hand, 
they are still separate. And so then we might try to find some substitute words like belief. Well, what does belief mean? Well, that seems like trust. But if we say trust, then that sounds more like reliable. And I'm one who believes that faith is more than just relying on someone or something. Well, thankfully, the Holy Scriptures offer to us a very brief definition of faith. You heard me read it earlier from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Someone else has described faith as an empty-handedness. The only proper posture for us to come to God is with an empty hand. This places us in a position of total dependence upon God. And the more emptiness we bring, the more fullness of God's riches we receive. The men say to King Nebuchadnezzar, we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not going to worship any idols. They were not going to worship any cheap imitations of God or what the King James uh, version of the Bible calls graven images. They followed God unashamedly. They obeyed God's law unabashedly and empty-handed. Friends, we are not called to be successful. God has called us to be faithful. Now, the words faith, faithful, and faithfulness all have the same Greek root word. It's the word pistis. And there are over 90 references to just faithfulness in the Bible. And what's interesting is in every case, just about, they almost always have to do with God. Now, did you know that one of the most frequently occurring words on the SAT college exam is the word indifferent? Well, there is nothing indifferent about the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're not shy. They're not timid with their words. Their faith is not a faulty, fair-weather faith. And so King Nebuchadnezzar goes ballistic, and he throws Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into a fiery furnace that is so hot that the soldiers who throw them in are burned up to a crisp. If they were making a Hollywood movie of the story, They might call it three men in an oven. So let me ask you a question. What about your faith? What about your faith? One of the things that I've learned is that being overwhelmed can be one of the most creative places that you can be in life because that is when God is most real. And very often it's the crises that we think that are going to destroy our faith that become the very thing that strengthen our faith. The very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 10, says, Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Well, the plot thickens. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walk around in the flames, and they sing praises to God, and King Nebuchadnezzar can't believe it, and he's astounded at what he sees. And so he says, was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? I see four men walking around in the middle of fire, and the fourth appears as the Son of God. It was the Son of God. What's shocking in the story is that God did not airlift Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the flames. Instead, God got into the fire with them. 
A wonderful truth of the Christian faith is that Jesus Christ comes to us and is there with us in the midst of the flames. And because Jesus goes into the flames with us, we can go with authority and power of the resurrected Christ into the fiery places of this world in which we are living. Some of you may have had some really bad things happen to you in this past year. Things that you never would have believed could have happened or certainly would not wish on your worst enemy. You may have been one who said, I'm on top of the world. I'm flying high and fancy free. I was on cloud nine and suddenly the bottom just dropped out. And then I was in this hot oven in my job or in my marriage or in my mood or in my health. No matter how far we may fall in life, Jesus knows right where to find us. Jesus knows what it's like when we cry out, God, it hurts here. And he can say back to us, yes, I know. I know. I've been there. I've been there. You know, sometimes because of who we are and I guess the way we're wired, we want to put on a brave front and even hide our feelings from God of what's really going on. There was a pastor who called a family who had visited his church the Sunday before. And so, as he called and the phone rang, a little boy answered the phone and said rather softly, hello? Well, hello, who is this? Jimmy. Hi, Jimmy, how are you? How old are you? Four. Well, Jimmy, can I speak to your mother? She's busy. Well, then, can you put your your dad on the phone? He's busy. Well, Jimmy, are there any other adults in the house that I can speak to? The police. Well, Jimmy, could you put the police on the phone? They're busy. Jimmy, are there any other adults in the house besides your parents and the police? The firemen. Okay, could you get the firemen, put them on the phone? They're busy. Jimmy, what are all those people in the house busy doing? Looking for me. We're a lot like Jimmy. We hide and we run from God. We hide our feelings. And yes, we even hide our faith from God. And so, friends, allow God to enter into the depth of your despair so that whenever you may hit rock bottom, you will know that there is one in Jesus Christ who will come to you and say, your pain is my pain. Your guilt is my guilt. Your feeling of abandonment is my feeling of abandonment by my Father on the cross. This scripture reading reminds us that God is our rescuer from evil. When I was in uh, Texas two weeks ago, I visited the George W. Bush Museum. It was the 10th anniversary. It sits right next to the campus of SMU. And because it was the 10th anniversary, they were letting people in for free. And there was much to see, especially about a president who served two full terms. And as you might expect, a major part of that exhibit was about September 11th, 2001. Now, one thing we know about that day is that as people were running out of the World Trade Center towers in New York City, the firefighters were running into that burning wreckage. 343 of them lost their lives many of them never making it out of the towers. It is estimated that the FDNY saved about 
25,000 people that day by evacuating them out of the Twin Towers before they collapsed. You may remember or have heard the story of Father Mike. He was the 68-year-old chaplain of the New York City Fire Department who was giving last rites to a fatally injured fireman that day, and as Father Mike removed his own helmet, he was killed by falling debris from tower number two. There was a Roman Catholic fireman, an ordinary layperson who happened to be standing nearby. He ran over, and as best as he knew how, he gave Father Mike last rites. Afterwards, he asked the archbishop if it was okay for him to have given the last rites to Father Mike. And the archbishop said, I believe the Lord understands. The Lord does understand. Do you know why? Because Jesus was a fireman. And he went into the flames of hell for us and he lost his life in the rescue. He gave up his life for you and for me. The essence of Jesus Christ is a love beyond bounds, a love without limits, a love beyond our imagination. Says in John 15, 13, greater love have no one than that person who lays down his life for his friends. Oh, as Christians, we're going to have our own hot ovens and fiery furnaces and blazing fires. And sometimes we think, oh, well, I'm a Christian, certainly... God may let the air conditioner break and the heat may rise and I may sweat a little bit, but hey, God's not going to put me in a furnace. I'm not going to have to go through any blazing fires. Well, listen to what Isaiah 43 says. When, when you walk through the fires, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze for I am the Lord your God. Notice it doesn't say if. When, God says, you walk through the fires. Non-Christians get cancer, Christians get cancer. Non-Christians lose their jobs, Christians lose their jobs. Non-Christians struggle in their marriages, Christians struggle in their marriages. Everybody goes through a furnace in life. But here's the difference. God says, oh, other people may get burned to a crisp, but I will turn you into something beautiful. I'll be right beside you. I will walk with you. Craig Barnes is the retired president of Princeton Seminary. He's also the former senior pastor at National Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. He tells a story about a middle-aged couple in his church named Paul and Beverly. Now, they had only been members of the church for a very short time when Beverly was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. And it was very difficult to watch as that disease shut down her body and her ability <clears throat> to communicate. But through the long months of that disease, Paul's devotion to Beverly grew even stronger. In fact, every time somebody from the church stopped by, Paul could be found at Beverly's bedside telling her how much he loved her, even though she could no longer say, I love you too. After Beverly died, Paul found it hard to be in church. It's not that he doubted God as much as he just missed worshiping with his wife. But he continued to come to church because he knew he should, and quite frankly, he didn't know where else to go. 
Now, there was another couple in Craig Barnes's church by the name of Ted and Jean. And the highlight of Jean's life was sitting in the front pew and watching her daughter get married. But less than a year later, Ted was killed in a horrible plane crash along with their daughter and her new husband. And now here was Jean sitting in the front pew, only this time staring at three caskets. In the year that followed, the pastoral staff and and the caregivers of that church did all they could to try to guide both Paul and Jean through their respective agonizing days of grief. But as you know, grief is such a lonely feeling, and neither of them had ever felt so alone before. Then one Sunday morning, Craig Barnes, the pastor, noticed that Paul and Jean were spending a long time talking to each other around the coffee pot in the fellowship hall. And soon their tears gave way to holding hands with each other in the worship service. And eventually, Craig Barnes got that phone call that he had been longing for. Pastor, we were wondering if you would perform our wedding. At this point, Craig Barnes writes in his book, I was so excited when the day finally came to marry Paul and Jean. But I wasn't prepared for what would happen during the ceremony. I got about halfway through the service before a question developed in the back of my mind. How can these two find the courage to go through this again? I tried to push it out of my thoughts and continue leading the ceremony, but it became unavoidable the moment they began to face each other to say their vows. Paul started to cry when he got to the part in sickness and in health. Then Jean cried her way through saying, till death do us part. At that point, I could no longer speak. I looked out at the congregation who were all crying so hard, they could no longer listen. So we just stopped the service and cried for a while. Now, the question was demanding a response. If any couple knows what marriage can cost, it is these two. Clearly, they are aware that one of them will have to go through all the grief again someday. How could they find the courage to risk loving again? The answer to my question came when Paul and Jean then faced the congregation as we sang the hymn they had selected, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And then he closes, It was because they had found the faithfulness of God and faith in God in the darkest days of their grief that they were now able to receive a new blessing. Aren't you in awe of a God who can make humans of a quality and stuff like these people? They lived out their faith through the terrible fires. Why? Because Jesus was walking with them. Passage that I read for you in Daniel 3.27 finishes with these words. The fires had no power over the bodies of these men. And friends, so it is with us. Sometimes God calms the fire. And sometimes God lets the fire burn and he calms us as his children. Either way, God remains with us always. Semper Fidelis, always faithful. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. 
Oh, Lord God, uh, give us the faith to face head-on the challenges of this world. Sometimes it seems like we're living as embattled Christians, and so give us a bold faith to speak your name, proclaim your love, and to know that through all the trials and the ups and the downs and the ins and the outs, we are truly blessed because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And great is our reward in this life and the next. Give us the courage to honor you with our lips and with our lives and in every situation in which we find ourselves. And God, thank you for entering into our flames and fires. Give us your healing and hope as you protect us and walk with us each and every day. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.